Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for being our God, being merciful, patient, and kind. Thank you for not holding our sins against us, whether they be sins of thought, word, or action. Thank you that Jesus gave himself up for us so that we would not face justice. We're grateful for him as our Savior. Help us to learn more about him and from him, from his word today. As the psalmist would say, open our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can find the second chapter of the book of Acts for our study this morning. And as you're finding Acts chapter 2, here's the introduction. Significant, pivotal, extraordinary, supernatural, phenomenal, world-changing, amazing, bizarre, momentous, paranormal, and any other synonyms that would go in that same kind of category. Those are introductory words that can be used to describe, yes, even paranormal, I looked it up, I double-checked, to describe what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. It is phenomenal. It is extraordinary. It is paranormal. It is bizarre. It is significant. And on and on the list could go. So I hope you're prepared for the bizarre. I hope you're prepared for the very interesting. Acts chapter 2. I tried, even up till yesterday, I tried to do the whole chapter, 47 verses. Just wasn't working out. So we're going to do the opening 13 verses. So it's the introduction to the sermon. So, we're going to do the introduction to Peter's sermon, but it is quite the introduction, let me tell you. If you're a note taker this morning, we are going to highlight seven unique characteristics. Seven unique characteristics that authenticate the supernatural coming of the Holy Spirit. Seven unique characteristics that authenticate the unique coming of the Holy Spirit. All not cover them now. Well, just ever so quickly, don't try to write them down, even if you're a note taker, because I want to go fast. I'm on my third cup of coffee now. He came, he came prophetically. He came suddenly. He came loudly. He came with fire. He came indiscriminately. He came giving boldness to speak the Bible or the Word of God. And finally, we're going to see he came giving languages. And do notice I said he seven times. I never once said it, because the Holy Spirit is a person. And so we're going to see that he came in an extraordinary sort of way. Let's go ahead and read the opening 13 verses before we go any further. It says in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a loud, excuse me, came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that, that, that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
Parthenians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Number one, first unique characteristic of the unique coming of the Holy Spirit that authenticates, number one, He came prophetically. He came prophetically. So if if He came prophetically, it means He came According to prophecy, it was told beforehand that he would come. So it was told beforehand by Jesus in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, John chapter 14 as well. Jesus spoke of this very coming, chapter 14, verses 16 and following. So we could say he came prophetically based upon those texts. But I want to point out that this statement in verse 1 is a prophetic kind of statement. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Let's put some emphasis on the word arrived. When they, when the day of Pentecost arrived, it's actually a fulfillment word. Some of you may, in the margin of your Bible, I think it's true in the New American Standard translation. So if you have that, you might have a marginal note that says arrived. Literally was being fulfilled. So whether or not you have that translation, whether or not you have that marginal, marginal note, I would add it to your margin. Literally was being fulfilled. So it arrives, but it arrives in a fulfillment kind of sense. This is, this is the day of Pentecost, but it's the ultimate day of Pentecost. It's the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. In fact, it's super interesting. The day of Pentecost, it means uh, the day, the 50th day. The day of Pentecost is uh, 50 days after Passover. So it's a Jewish festival where they celebrate God's abundant blessings when it comes to the harvest. God has been so faithful. He's provided the rain. He's provided the soil. He's provided the seeds. He's provided all of these uh, things necessary, the sunshine and the labor. And God has blessed us with a good harvest. Day of Pentecost commemorates that. The great blessings of God when it comes to us being able to eat if we're Jewish people living at this time and long before this time. So think of the day of Pentecost is that time when you celebrate God's abundant harvest. God gave us an abundant harvest. Let's celebrate. Let's honor him. Let's rejoice. Let's have a big festival, a big party, because indeed, what a great harvest the Lord has given us. Day of Pentecost. Well... Isn't it interesting that if we literally translate this, when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, they were all in one place. So I would suggest to you, if that's how we should translate it, literally, I think it is. Commentators are in pretty broad agreement of this. It's the ultimate Pentecost. It's the ultimate harvest. It's not a physical harvest, it's a spiritual harvest. Oh, and if that's the case, and if God oversaw the whole writing of the Bible, and 
I believe that he did. I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. And if God, before the foundation of the world, had a plan of redemption that centers on his son, Jesus, I believe that he did, because that's what Ephesians 1 says. All of those other days of Pentecost, all of those celebrations were in anticipation of the ultimate one that is being fulfilled in their very midst. All of those grain harvests, if you will, have been in in anticipation of this great harvest of souls, if you will, that is about to be launched in Acts chapter 2. Fascinating. At this point in time, I feel like a salesman, but there's more. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, I don't ever want to sound like a salesman when I'm preaching, but, but there's actually more. Okay. There, there's, there's more involved when it comes, if you, if you just kind of park it a little bit and think about this, this great harvest that's going to happen and the harvest is going to happen with the great outpouring of the spirit. I can't help myself because when I read the Old Testament and I learn about the day of Pentecost, it goes by other names sometimes, like the Feast of Harvest, Exodus chapter 23, and where it talks about the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23, verse 16, it talks about the first fruits of your labor. And I just can't help myself. We're in a Holy Spirit kind of text. And he's saying fulfillment of Pentecost. And there was an emphasis on giving of your first fruits there. And I just can't help myself but read the Bible and lie to the Bible. And I know the Apostle Paul speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. And he talks about first fruits. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident. This is the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate first fruits. Those other first fruits were in anticipation of the great blessing and outpouring of God upon his people through the power of the Holy Spirit uniquely in the new covenant era. And then there's just one more thing to highlight here. I'm less certain about this one because it's based upon Jewish tradition. Based upon, I I don't have a Bible verse to prove this. Based upon Jewish tradition, Pentecost came to be associated with the giving of the law, okay? With the giving of the law to Moses. And so, here's a quotation from one commentator. In post-exile Judaism, it also celebrated the giving of the law to Moses. So, think with me, if you would, if we have the fulfillment of Pentecost, and if Jewish tradition is right, that we're going to associate and celebrate the giving of God's law to Moses at Pentecost, Connect those dots. Jesus is the one who said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and following, I didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. And we know that's true because that's what Jesus says. Whether or not that's the intention here, I'm not absolutely certain. But think about the implications and think about if it is the case, what's happening. Let's celebrate the fact that God gave us his law. Which is worthy of celebration because not everybody was given the unique law of God. And it's good and important and right to have what God says even inscripturated in the law. That's good to celebrate. But at the same time, we who are sons and daughters of Adam would say, but it's kind of hard to celebrate it because it shows me my sin. It shows me what's true. It shows me what's true about God, and I like that. It also shows me what's true about others, and I I like that. That's all positive, but really, if I have to be honest, 
It also shows me my sin and my worthiness of condemnation. But if we have Jesus here, who's giving his spirit, connecting those dots, the fulfiller of the obligation, it's worthy of celebration. You say, good, because I have an advocate with Jesus. I have a substitute in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. New covenant, the letter kills, talking about us being slain because we're lawbreakers, but the Spirit gives life. This is the great life pouring out nature of what's happening at the day of Pentecost. Well, I think if this were a movie, we could roll the credits. Because nothing I say after this is going to be as good as what we just saw, in my opinion. The fulfilling of the day of Pentecost? The ultimate harvest? First fruits? Fulfillment of the law's obligation all in Christ? Applied to us by the Spirit? Made known to us by the Spirit? Propagated through the ministry of the Spirit? Well, that right there is enough for me, but we're going to move on to do the remaining six of these. Second unique characteristic that authenticates the coming of the Holy Spirit is that, number two, He came suddenly. He came suddenly. We'll do this one rather quickly. We'll do it suddenly. How about number two in verse two? And suddenly, there that's why I used it in my outline, and suddenly there came from heaven... And I'm going to rudely stop there just for a moment. We're going to see it's the the unique outpouring of the Spirit. But suddenly there came from heaven. And the reason I included it in the outline, because it's not like this is something they dreamed up over time. Uh, The reason I'm, I'm having a hard time with the exact wording I want to use. I think Dr. Luke is going for authenticity. Dr. Luke in his Luke, uh, his Luke account, the gospel according to Luke and this account, he's, he's making an argument for legitimacy. So he's describing what happens as it happened, but he's making sure to include it suddenly this happened. Kind of out of nowhere it happened. It happened out of heaven, but you get the idea, figure of speech. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it wasn't like they were, well, let's, let's chant. Um, let's, um, repeat something over and over again. Or um, maybe something happened in this person's life over here. No, no, suddenly, out, out of nowhere, out of heaven, this happens. And I think that actually goes to his argument for authenticity. It wasn't something they conjured up. No, it happens all of a sudden. Divine orchestration, not human orchestration. Now let's move on to this third unique characteristic that authenticates the coming of the Holy Spirit. So suddenly from heaven, it's unearthly. Number three, he came loudly. So verse two also says, after the suddenly there came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And a mighty rushing wind is loud, so I'm going to say it loudly. I don't want to read too much into this, but you don't, he doesn't say it is wind, but there's a sound like super loud wind. Something extraordinary is happening here. Something paranormal. There's audible, perhaps, even without the actual motion. This violent rushing wind happens. And again, I would say, Authenticity. There's something unique happening. Not only did it just happen right away, did it come from heaven, but now we've got this super loud sound. What what all of this is designed to do is to get people's attention. Okay? Peter's going to preach after this. 
This has our attention. And if we are thinking like people who are Old Testament literate, okay, some of us are, some of us aren't, some of us are trying, but if we're thinking in terms of loud things happening, and even wind, there's Old Testament precedent when God did unique, extraordinary, not everyday kinds of things. Exodus chapter 19 would be an example of the loudness because God's going to do something different. 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 11 also with a strong wind and getting everyone's attention because something unique and extraordinary is going to happen. If you were doing a speech class, you, you might have an attention getting device. This is a series of attention getting devices. But they're not without precedent. It's meant to cause people, as we're going to see, to say, something supernatural is happening. This is like what happened in Exodus. This is like what happened back during First Kings time. Old Testament times. This is like Old Testament-ish. Unique, extraordinary. Verse 2 ends by saying, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I don't want to make too big a deal out of it, but they're not outside with the super loud wind sounds. They're inside in the house with the super loud wind sounds. Now, I realize they didn't have pillow windows and things like that, so maybe it could still be loud, but that doesn't preach quite as good. <laughs> Surely, the intent is, though, this is weird, right? This is not everyday kind of activity. And as an aside, do remember um, that even in the Old Testament, it wasn't like paranormal things happened every day. That's a bad reading of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, things are, history, history is punctuated, right? Uh, but, but it's punctuated by the extraordinary. Remember not that many years ago when it was all the craze, especially in Southern Baptist circles, but it went beyond uh, experiencing God. And if you're not having a mountaintop experience like every day in your life and you're not very godly kind of thing. Well, it's a bad reading of the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, the extraordinary is, wait for it, extraordinary. <laughs> it wasn't everyday living. It's special. It's unique. And what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is extraordinary, special, unique, but not altogether unique. It looks a lot like, maybe we have to say it sounds a lot like what happened when God did extraordinary things throughout redemptive history. That's what's happening there. So I think this whole thing is designed to get attention so that Peter can preach the gospel and they're saying what he has to say is worth listening to. As, as Jewish people in particular. And we love us some extraordinary activities in God, from, from God, right? Delivering us, His people, Red Sea, the list goes on and on. Giving of the law. That's what, that's what's happening here. That's what's going on. No doubt. But then we go from the audible to the visual. Fourth unique characteristic that authenticates the coming of the Holy Spirit is that number four, He came with fire. He came with fire. Verse three says, and divided tongues. As as of fire appeared. One translation just says it's flames. So now we have fire coming. What's that about? That doesn't happen regularly. That's that's strange. That's different. 
think with me about the Old Testament and fire, God. I mean, the classic one is Exodus. God appears, burning bush. God came uniquely and appeared uniquely. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Fire, blazing fire. Exodus 3, 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Exodus 14, pillar of fire. Exodus 14, 24. Exodus 19, verse 8. Fire. All of these things, God showing himself, and he's showing himself through the symbol of fire. I don't know what else to make of Acts chapter 2. God is uniquely showing up, extraordinarily showing up. Fire. There's precedent for that. One commentator said this, miniaturized pillars of fire, like the cloud of glory over the tent of meeting in the wilderness, designating the Lord's residence in the center of Israel's camp. Exodus 40, verses 36 to 38. I think that's what's happening. I'm in really good company thinking that's what's happening. The dwelling of God, sometimes symbolized by the smoke, the cloud, the fire, extraordinary. But what's different here is, different than tabernacle, different than temple, it's on all of them. Which actually would fit what's happening, going from tabernacle, temple, old covenant reality, Jesus talking about himself being the dwelling of God, the temple, and then going on to talk, if we keep reading our Bibles, the church is the temple, and even Christians are referred to as the temple, where God uniquely dwells, new covenant reality. This whole thing is about dot connecting, in my opinion, making the connection. This is what it's all been anticipating. This is what it's all been waiting for. I don't know if we are meant to see this or not, but in Luke chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus talks about fire as judgment. Well, these aren't being judged. These are people who belong to Him. Judgment has already occurred by Jesus giving Himself up for them. So they're not afraid of the fire. For judgment, at least. God is with them. God is for them. Uniquely. Okay, let's do number five, six, and seven. Number five, fifth unique characteristic that authenticates the coming of the Holy Spirit is He came indiscriminately. He came indiscriminately. In other words, there weren't the haves and the have-nots at this phase of things. Verse three says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Chapter 2, verse 1, they're all together. Chapter 2, verse 2, uh, the, the whole house is involved. Now chapter or chapter 2, verse 4, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. So it rested on each one of them. Why would I want to underscore that? I would want to underscore that if Dr. Luke is trying to give authenticity. He's underscoring the fact that this happened not to one person, because they were maybe having a weird dream. Nobody could see. And then he tried to coax everybody else into believing it. No. 
It happened to all of them. It happened indiscriminately, which would underscore this wasn't just what somebody thought maybe happened. I could see it happening to that person. That person could see it happening to me if we were there. In other words, this really happened. This really happened for eyes to see and people to witness. It rested on each one of them, not imagination. It would help at least some criticism or to answer some criticism. Having said that, before we move on to the next one, it happened indiscriminately, but what we don't see is it continuing to happen. We're not going to keep seeing Pentecost being redone over and over again, just like this, throughout the book of Acts. We'll talk more about that as we go, as to why certain things happen in certain scenarios and not in others. But it happened indiscriminately, absolutely right there. But that doesn't mean it happened indiscriminately with all believers, therefore, and ever after. Let's go on to number six. We're doing seven of these. Number six, he came giving boldness. He came giving boldness. And in particular, it's boldness to speak the truth of God, to speak the word of God. We see this in verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. And I say they began to speak and they began to speak boldly the word of God because that's how Luke speaks. Luke uses this controlling or filling with the Holy Spirit that way. In fact, I think it's true, always Luke speaks in these terms. Filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit is the idea. If I'm, if I'm filled with anger or filled with joy, I'm controlled by it. It's a, it's a way of speaking. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And they're speaking in Luke. I think it's always the case. Last time I checked, it's, it's this boldness to speak the Word of God uniquely controlled, spirit-filled so that they can preach, so they can teach, so they can talk, so that they can articulate. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, Zacharias, filled with the Spirit and prophesied. Acts 4, 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he's preaching. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Acts 9, 17, same sort of thing, uh, down to 9.20, proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. We see it, see it in Acts 13. We see it in Acts 13, 6 to 12, chapter 13, verse 52. I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is spirit-controlled, spirit-filled, not to do something weird, something mystical, something to draw attention to yourself. Over and over again, Luke uses the verbiage for preaching, proclaiming, teaching, making the truth known. They're so controlled by the Spirit of God that they proclaim the truth about Christ. So when someone asks you, are you Spirit-filled? <laughs> you know the right answer. If you speak the truth about Jesus, you can say, I am. That's not what they mean. They mean, are you a charismatic who has weird experiences about made-up things to draw attention to yourself? I know I'm being mean. You can say, my pastor's a spirit-filled pastor. If we proclaim the truth about Jesus, that's evidence that we're spirit-controlled because the spirit draws attention to the Son. It's fascinating to see. 
fascinating to see. Okay, finally, let's do number seven. And, and if, this, if, this, if, if me making comments like that uh, is causing you to have more questions than answers maybe, we're gonna, I'm going to give you more questions in the book of Acts. And we're going to find answers in the book of Acts. Okay, let's do this final one. Number seven, he came giving languages. Seventh and final unique characteristic that authenticates the coming of the Holy Spirit as from God, from heaven, not from someone's imagination, not from some left field kind of thing. Number seven, he came giving languages. Chapter two, verses four to 13. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. And we speak in this kind of way sometimes in our world when we say, what's your mother tongue? And you say, oh, my mother tongue is English. My mother tongue is German, Spanish, or something else. It's what you grew up speaking. It's what you spoke in your house. It's where, where you're from. They're now going to, controlled by the Spirit, and they're going to speak in other languages. Okay, is what's going to happen here. We're going to see it. He's going to actually use the word uh, dialecto, sounds like dialect. They're going to speak in other people's dialects that they didn't know. But they, but these are known dialects because the other people hear them and they're saying, you're speaking in my dialect. So it's a language. It's a known language. And we're going to see that as we go. It's not Shurabarahanda. Okay. Um, should have bought a Honda. Okay. Shurabarahanda. If you want to know how to speak in tongues, I can teach you. It's... Three easy installments, $9.99. Call the number on the screen. Put your hand... No, I'm kidding. Now, I needed to articulate it this hour because last hour I did the shit about a Honda and got a couple chuckles. But then after the service, I was talking to someone uh, and they said, so do you speak in tongues? And I said, I, I, I don't. He said, but, but you just did the shit about a Honda thing. And I said, should have bought a Honda. He goes, that's hilarious. <laughs> he said, I'm so glad I didn't understand because I would have, you know, broken up in church. And I said, it's okay to laugh in church. <laughs> so then I thought that was so funny that I was in the Sunday school class uh, before Dallas Foch was teaching and I was just sharing the funny story because somebody said, oh, I like the should have bought a Honda thing. And I said, you know what? I just had a conversation with somebody and they actually thought I was just speaking in tongues. And then like two or three of the ladies who were sitting at the table said, we thought you were too. <laughs> so it's good to have two services and have a do-over. The mind is a terrible thing sometimes. But the takeaway is, they're speaking in other dialects. These are known, not to them, but they are known dialects to those who hear. This is not some kind of weird made-up thing. This is extraordinary. This is unique. This is special. This is of God. But this, this isn't gobbledygook, gibberish, dialects. Okay, how about verse, where are we? <laughs> verse 5. Somebody's going to say, they, yeah, that's because you were making fun of charismatics and that's what you get. Okay, number 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. 
the NIV says staying in Jerusalem. That might even help us capture the idea um, because it's Pentecost. This is a huge holiday. So there are, there, there are Jews staying in Jerusalem who aren't normally there is the idea. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And he's going to define that a little bit better by our context in a moment. Verse 6 says, And at this sound, the multitude came together. It got their attention, in other words. It, it drew them in. Like, what, what's going on here? And then let, let's keep reading in verse 6. And they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own dialecto, in his own language. I like dialect better because it captures the idea better. They're bewildered. They're befuddled. They're, they're saying, how, how, how can you do this? This doesn't make sense, naturally speaking. And it doesn't make sense, naturally speaking. Then verse 7 says, And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galilean or Galileans? First of all, they're not from where we're from, and they're not the smartest bunch. They're not the, they're not the most articulate. As one Bible commentator said, they're country bumpkins. He said, their hearers were amazed because they saw these men were Galileans, ignorant. I didn't say it. Our Kent Hughes did. He's nice. He's super nice. They're, they're ignorant, despised country bumpkins who had funny accents because they could not pronounce gutturals. But suddenly, they had amazing linguistic powers. Back to our text. Back to the, back to the language amazement. Verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then Luke covers east to west, north to south, Parthenians and Medes, verse 9 says, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, the Asia Minor, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. I emboldened that last part because I think it needs to be emboldened. We hear them telling in our own tongues, our own dialects, our own languages, the mighty works of God. Notice, and I don't want to be nitpicky here, but they're not hearing the gospel yet. It's a Jewish audience hearing the mighty deeds of God, the mighty works of God. That's code for... Old Testament stories, Old Testament extraordinary things, the, the, the history we love, hearing about Yahweh delivering, Yahweh uh, revealing Himself, uh, the mighty deeds of God. They're busy talking Old Testament in their dialect, but they don't know their dialect, and the people are getting drawn in. It's the ultimate Holy Spirit-inspired attention-getting device if you're talking to Jews. And what's it going to do? It's going to put the ball on the tee for Peter to preach. That's what's going to happen. And Peter is going to preach the gospel to them. Gospel isn't there yet. Credibility is definitely there. Credibility is definitely there. I don't want to read too much into this, but if I'm trying to make dot connections, which Acts for sure does, it's not spelled out here, but I, I can't help myself but to think of language confusion and now we have language unity. 
I can't help myself but to think about the idolatry that resulted in the confusion of languages in Genesis 10, Genesis 11, right? Genesis 11, verses 7 to 9. Tower of Babel or Tower of Babel, depending on if you're a Galilean. And in the book of Acts, we at least see with this inauguration, unity. And we see unity coming in the church as well. We, we don't have consummation yet where we all perfectly can communicate. But we definitely see the beginning of it. Is it the undoing of the judgment that happened at the Tower of Babel or not? I don't know for sure, but I can't help but notice it. Speaking the mighty deeds, the mighty works of God. Verse 12 then says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Which is just the, the right question, right? What in the world is happening here? You've got our attention You've got our attention not just because you did something crazy. We've witnessed something extraordinary and what you're saying is right. What you're saying about God we know to be credible. Accompanied by the extraordinary, you've got our attention. That's what's happening here. What does this mean? There have been a lot of wrong answers to that question. It doesn't mean it's the new norm. It doesn't mean the charismatics are right. What does this mean? Well, I can't help myself just because we have to wait till next week. But maybe if we just drop down to just, just borrow a little bit of Peter's sermon, he's going to explain what it means. Let's just go down to chapter 2, verse 17. Among other things, here's what it means. 2.17, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Among other things, it means that. Among other things, the Old Testament prophets who you, listening audience, then like and are drawn toward and you think they speak the truth, I want you to know that what they prophesied is a reality in Jesus. Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is the ultimate King David. Jesus is the one who ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is, in fact, the king who rules and reigns from David's throne. He's the fulfillment of the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He is the one we've all been waiting for. He's the one. He's the one. You want to know what it means? It means that. The spirit outpouring means it is, what does he say there? The last days. It is inauguration. It is the last days. What a claim that is. Because that's to claim, that's, that's claiming that Jesus is the one. We're not looking for another one. He's the one. He's the king. We're part of his kingdom, therefore. Oh yes, we're waiting for consummation, but make no mistake about it, it's been inaugurated. Verse 13 then says, sadly, unfortunately, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. And Peter will answer them there. 
The mocking won't win the day. The sermon will. And we're going to see the beginning of the harvest. 3,000 souls. Oh, that kind of harvest. Not grain. It's a spiritual thing. But all of those grain harvest first fruits were always in anticipation of something far greater. It's going to be good. I can't wait. Can't wait for next time. I could do it right now if you wanted me to. (laughs) We should pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what happened in history. Clear back throughout redemptive history. We're thankful. And we're thankful that you have not been the God who is silent. And we're thankful that you certainly were not silent in Acts chapter 2. We're thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ is the King who can pour out His Spirit, the Spirit even given to Him. And that there is life and plenty and safety and security and meaning and significance for all who trust in Him. Help us along our way as we learn more about Christ and what He has done in the past so that it might help us to think even about the present and the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you as you go. Have a wonderful day.